Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Well, we're going to conclude our series today on the cross. And we've been looking for the last several weeks um, at the cross because the cross was an event 2,000 years ago, but still has messages for us today. And we wanted to put it front and center so it's unmistakable that you are seeing it all through the service today because it's such a powerful force within our lives. In the first week, we talked about the fact that though we were still sinners, well, while our sin has alienated us from God, made us enemies with God, God demonstrates his love for us in this, and that he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And so the message that God unmistakably proclaims from the cross is that we are loved. And then Pastor Sam, a couple weeks ago, talked about the freedom that is given through the cross. And he used a lot of different illustrations. He brought up the fact that he's kind of addicted to Dr. Pepper or Diet Dr. Pepper. I know someone very dear to me, and I'm not going to give you her name, but she's in my family, and she's also very connected to Diet Dr. Pepper. And, and you know, it's interesting. Dr. Pepper has power over people. I used to stock a, a soda machine when I was a children's pastor, and the number one soda in that machine was Dr. Pepper. And there are a lot of imitations around. You know, you go to different places, and you'll hear things like Dr. Dazzle, um, Dr. Thunder, Mr. Ah, Mr. Pib. They're all basically the same kind of concoction of chemicals that kills you. Okay, that's basically what Pastor Sam was saying. This stuff's awful for me, but I'm addicted to it. And the fact is, um, sin's like that. We do the things we don't want to do, and we do them repeatedly. We self-destruct because of sin, because sin isn't just some behaviors. It goes to the core of our being, and yet God, through Christ, has given us freedom so we don't have to live within that bondage, the constraints being kind of tied down to sin. We have a choice now. And the choice as a believer is, I don't have to sin. I can choose to obey God. Last week was Easter, and we looked at the fact that that immediately following the crucifixion was the resurrection. The resurrection was the validation of what Jesus did on the cross. And in the, the resurrection, Jesus proclaims to us that we can be born again. We can be alive. And really, of, of all the promises God has made, the, the most powerful one is that if he could raise someone from the dead, he can do anything else that he says he can do. And one of the things God says he can do for us is give us a new life. He wants us to have this abundant totally new life. And I gave this illustration of, of an old TV, a black and white TV, and a modern TV, to now high def TV. And you really don't know what you're missing until you have it. And you really don't know what abundant life is like until you have it. And you look back and you go, you know, I thought I had life, but now I really have life. And we want you to experience new life in Christ. And if you're visiting today and that's something you said, Pastor, I, I'm kind of living the basic life I've always lived. I don't understand what this new life is. I want to urge you. And that it maybe even today would be a day you would surrender and say, God, I want that new life that you have to give. But I want to come back to the cross one more time today. Because it's not only the beginning point of our spiritual journey, it's a continual reference point to keep our lives re-centered. It's the place where we have to go back to again and again and again to kind of align our lives and what we're all about and what we're trying to accomplish in our lives. There's something powerful in the message of the cross. When I was in high school, my old um, little Methodist church gave out these cards that had attached to the card a, a little aluminum cross. And it was a cross that you were to keep in your purse or your pocket. And so um, I, I was new in the faith at the time. I kept that cross in my pocket for four or five years. Long, long time. Um, probably even went through the washing machine a few times in the process. But I always kept it there. And the whole point was every time you pull out your keys or you, you reach in, you grab some change, and you open up your palm and there's the cross, you go, oh yeah. I'm being reminded once again that Jesus paid a price for me. That Jesus is the key 
to my salvation, that Jesus really is, is what my life is about. And that little cross, even though it was just a tiny little thing, to me meant the world because that cross spoke a message to me that changed my life. And I think it's so ironic that of all the symbols the church could pick as its kind of identification mark, its logo, so to speak, it would pick a cross. I mean, you think of the different images they could have taken. We, we could have taken the rainbow. That's biblical, right? God gave a rainbow after the flood, and the rainbow is, is a message of hope, and it's multicolorful, and so the rainbow would have been a good one. Or maybe um, a dove. You know, the, the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove, and dove represents peace, and you know, that would have been a nice, kind of cute logo for the church, wouldn't it? A dove? Or we could have a flame for Pentecost, you know, uh, the fire and how God visited his people. Um, you know, the fish symbol is a big one among some people. And historically, the fish has been a symbol. And actually, the word ichthus, the Greek word for fish, is an acronym for Jesus Christ, God's son uh, in Greek. But, but the most enduring symbol, the most powerful symbol is the cross. I mean, nobody stands before a fish and goes, wow, that's, that's bringing a tear to my eye. But I'll tell you this. When you're confronted by the cross, there's something that penetrates your heart in a deep way. When, when sports teams pick their mascot or businesses take their logo, they'll, they'll pick words and, and, and um, objects like cubs and dolphins or broncos or grizzlies. Or maybe we'll have icons like cowboys and Indians, and, or we'll have themes like jazz or the heat. Um, so of all the different things, you know, the, the church says, no, we want the torture instrument as ours. That's our, the bloody cross, that's our thing. Yeah. That, would be like, that would be like my home state team being the Green Bay chopping blocks. <laughs> you go, what in the world? They cut meat, they brutalize beasts. Yeah, that's what we want to be. We want to be the chopping blocks. And the church says, no, we want, we want the cross to be our symbol. And there's something powerful about that. Nobody in their right mind would pick a cross as their symbol. And yet you and I know, and we sing about the cross, when we look at the cross, when we stand and kneel before the cross, doesn't something happen to you? It happens to me. Something inside stirs. And I want to take us back there because some of you are at the beginning of your spiritual journey. And I want you to, to, to stay for a while before the cross. And some of you have been in the Lord for a long time and you need to come back to the cross again. Because it's not only the beginning of the spiritual journey, it's the continuing saga of our spiritual journey. It's our reference point. And if there's one message I could convey to you today, in just a very simple way is this. When it comes to the cross, first you got to get over it, and then you got to get under it. First you got to get over it, and then you got to get under it. What do I mean by that? First you got to get over it. Well, the cross is a messy thing. The cross says that we've got a problem. That we have an issue with sin. Now, we don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to talk about the fact that we've rebelled against God, that we're God's enemies. But the truth of Scripture is that we've sinned. And you may brush it off saying, yeah, I know I made a few mistakes and I'm not a perfect person. But the truth is that, that there is evil deep within us. And that if it got fully exposed, it would be a lot darker than we would like to say it is. I mean, I look at um, a lot of TV programs like American Greed and 2020 and Dateline, and over and over again, there are these stories of individuals who do horrific things. I mean, I'm amazed at nice people, good, seemingly upstanding citizens who, who rob people of their riches, who kill their spouses, 
who abuse young women. I think, these, these are supposedly decent human beings. But you look back over the last hundred years at our enlightened society that we have. Germany, for example, very enlightened culture. Very, they, they created these incredible cars. They also, they also created some very hideous ways of, of exterminating people. And we look at uh, people around the world today and the horrific crimes being committed against humanity. Sexual trafficking, execution of people who don't believe like you believe, chemical warfare. I mean, all kinds of just horrific things being done by supposedly wise, intelligent, progressive people. We have a problem with sin. It's a very deep problem. In fact, you want to know how deep it is? To know how deep the problem of sin is, you just have to look. Well, let's look at the price because the price paid to cover our sins corresponds to the depth of the problem. I mean, if God's going to pay a price that's this big, the blood of his one and only son, holy cow, my problem with sin was that big. It was huge. It, it, was, it was unfathomable. It's bigger than you can imagine. If the price Jesus paid is that great. See, if you minimize your sin, what you're saying is, well, Jesus really didn't do that much for me because I really didn't have that big of a problem. So Jesus' blood was only worth about this much. No, it was worth, this, it was worth infinite amount. It's price. It's, 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 it's a, a price we could never pay because the debt I owed God was infinite. And Jesus paid for it. That's the problem of sin. And so Jesus had to go to a cross. And that was a message from Scripture from the beginning to end. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God had to kill an animal to get its um, skin or leather to cover their parts so they weren't exposed. And that animal died because of those people's sin. And that was a message through the Old Testament of sacrificing bulls and goats and sheep and birds. It was the fact that you deserve to die for your sins, but God's going to allow that animal to temporarily take your place until God sends the full remedy of your sin. And so then Jesus comes along, and the people are all primed, saying, how's God going to deal with their sin? Mary has a baby, and she's told that she's to name him Jesus because here's what he'll do. He will save his people from what? From their sins. Okay, how's he going to do that? Well, at the age of 30, he goes public. He comes to see John the Baptist. John the Baptist sees him and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why did he call him the Lamb of God? Because lambs were slain. They were sacrificed. This Lamb of God will die one day, will shed his blood for his people. So Jesus goes to the cross. He dies in our place. He sheds his blood for us. And then the early church begins to tell that message all over the world, that Jesus died for their sins. That, that your sins, my sins, put him on that tree. It wasn't just the Romans that killed Jesus. It was our sins that killed Jesus. It was our rebellion that killed Jesus. It's, it requ- our sin required the payment of his blood. And we get to the book of Revelation. Do you know this? 28 times the book of Revelation speaks of Jesus with this title, the Lamb of God. He is worthy to open the scroll. We are believers who are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is continually laid before us as here's the one who was sacrificed for you. Never, ever forget that. And so this is kind of gory and bloody and and a lot of people don't like that. See, there's a lot of religions that don't have any blood in it. You can just follow the good teachings of the Dalai Lama and find your way to eternal bliss. Or you can listen to Oprah and have some good positive teachings about tolerance and and empathy and self-actualization. And while a lot of these things are good and a lot of these things even have a, a biblical background to it, what's missing is the gory part. It's the blood. There's no blood in it because they don't like the blood. It's too messy. It's too gory. But I'm just going to tell you, if you have a problem with that, get over it. 
Get over it. That's the truth. That's what we needed. And it's not new today. It's been going on for 2,000 years. In the early church, when Paul spoke to the Corinthian church, he says in verse 18 of chapter 1, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Then down a few other verses. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, Jews had this vision that God was gonna come in the form of a man, And this man would be like King David in the Old Testament. He would rise up in political power and he would fight against the Roman oppression. And he would be the one they would elevate and look to and, and adore and worship. That's the king they were looking for. Not some guy who ends up dying naked on a cross between two thieves. I mean, who wants to follow that guy? He lost. He was a failure. I, I, want, I want the guy I follow to be the, 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 the one at the top. You know, when you hire a CEO for a company, you tout his degrees and his accomplishments and his successes in the past. You, you want someone, you know, like a Sam Walton with Walmart who rose up from the dust of the earth to create this credible business called Walmart and, and he shows that the American dream is real or, you know, Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, those kind of guys, you know, that's the kind of leader we want to follow. Not, not the guy who died on the cross. So the Jews had trouble with that. It was offensive to them. That's not the kind of king they wanted. And the Greeks said, it doesn't make sense to us. You know, we're all about philosophy and wisdom and logic. And this thing about a guy dying on the cross forgives sins, we could have figured out in an easier way. I mean, couldn't have God have done something pretty simple? He's God after all. Couldn't he just kind of wiped it off? I mean, we get, we get germs. We just take out a little of this stuff here, hand sanitizer, put it in our hands, rub it, kill the germs, Done. Couldn't have God had just done something simple like that with sin? I mean, why, why all the bloody mess? Why, why that? We find it offensive. It's true. You just got to get over it. That's what was required to cover our sins. Not only that, but the, the cross is, is not about us. It's about Jesus. And I think some people have trouble with that because we want a God who comes along beside us to make our life better and so that we can do the things we've always wanted to do. We just have this little extra boost with God. It's kind of like, God, I have an agenda. Would you kind of come and get in the back seat and give me a little tip along the way and help me? But I've got an agenda. I just need you to help me get it. And then when I get in trouble, you're like the rabbit's foot. I pull out of the pocket or the Aladdin's lamp that I can rub when I need a prayer answered and you're gonna help me get what I want. But you're there to help me. And we've got it inverted. Um, God invites us to be part of his story. That we don't exist here to invite God into our story as much as God invites us to be part of his story. And when you give your life to Christ, in fact, one of the symbols of baptism is you're, you're dead. Your story is ended. It's, not, it's now not about you. It's about Jesus. And you turn a page. You say, now my life's going to be focused on him. My whole, my whole reason for existence is to live for him and to share his story with other people. My story now becomes his story. You know, every time we celebrate communion, we are again going back to the story that we are here because of what Jesus did for us. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't even be here. See, there are churches today that, that I think can exist, and they could actually take communion out, take the blood out, and they would still do what they've always done before because that's not a significant part. But I'm going to tell you this. If we take the cross out of what we do at this church, 
we're shutting the doors down because that's the only reason why we exist. I love what Paul says. When he goes into the second chapter of Corinthians, listen to verse two. He says, for I resolve to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, that's the only thing I wanted to know. That's the only story I wanted to tell you. It was the only story worth telling. And Paul had a huge transformation in his life because he was ascending a religious ladder where he was going to be a bigwig in his denomination. And yet when Jesus got a hold of him, he says, you know what, that's all garbage. It's not about me anymore. It's all about Jesus. And that became the pursuit of his life to glorify Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, we're reminded that he said, it is finished. The work of redemption was finished. And when we stand before that upright cross, and you may be a person who's for the very first time saying, Pastor, I'm really starting to understand what the cross is and what Jesus did for me. You have only one option. Surrender to it. Because if you turn away from it, it's to your own peril. There are a lot of miracles in the Bible that you may struggle with. You know, Noah in the flood or, or Jonah in the mouth of, the, of a big fish. And you may struggle with, you know, David killing a giant or Daniel in a lion's den and surviving. But the Bible doesn't say you have to believe in those to be saved. I personally believe in those, but you don't have to. But you have to believe this. This is the one miracle you have to believe. That Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. That's the miracle you have to believe. And if you believe it, I'll tell you this, it will change your life. It will change you from the inside out. God will begin to do things in your life that will make you different than you ever were before. And so the first thing we have to do when we come to the cross is get over it. Get over the, the offense of it, the ugliness of it, the Christ-focusedness of it. It is all about him. Get over it. That's okay. God wants us to get over ourselves. And, and then to do the second part, which is to get under it, to pick up the cross and follow him. We're called to not only believe in the cross, but to pick it up. The, the upright cross of Jesus deals with our problem of sin. But the leaning cross, the cross that is now ready to be picked up, that deals with our purpose, what my life is about. And so here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, the purpose of what our life should be about. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it? For someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. About 15 years ago, a man walked into an office where my wife worked. She was doing taxes during tax season. And he had a couple crosses that he had personally uh, put together and carved. And this was one of them. If you look on this side, it's just some old um, kind of ugly wood. But he put it together and he began to... Uh, use a blade and shave down one side and begin to use some oils on it and it became this real beautiful little cross. And so my wife says, I want to buy that for my husband, put it in his office. So I, I have this in my office. It actually sits in a piece of bark, just kind of a neat reminder. But then she asked him this question. She said, can you make a cross like this? That's, that's life-size. That's big. You know, eight or, eight or ten feet tall. Can you make one like that? He says, well, I never thought of that, but I, I probably could. So uh, he went hunting for wood and went, looked all over the city, found, found some old lumber, and he began to do the same kind of thing, began to shave that wood and began to oil it. And every Sunday when you walk here, you might not have noticed it, but when you leave today, it is right above the doors of this worship center. 
It's huge. It used to be in the old building above the baptistry. It's right above these doors. And it's leaning on its side like this. And you might think, well, the reason it's leaning is because it's not, there's not enough space to put it like this. No, that's not the reason it's leaning. It was, it was created to, to lean. Because it's not meant to be the cross that Jesus died on as much as the cross that you are to pick up and now follow him. Because we are to pick up our cross. Every time we walk into the service is a reminder of, I need to pick up my cross and follow Jesus today. Because he says, do it daily. Do it daily. I don't know if you watched um, the, the TV program last week called AD. It's uh, by Mark Burnett, who's one of the greatest producers actually on TV today, and his wife Roma Downey from Touched by an Angel um, fame. And they put together a movie. Last year was called The Bible, and this year's AD. It's a 10-part series. They're just hour-long episodes. I have to tell you, I was amazed. I was moved last Sunday night when I watched this show because it was on the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's, it's pretty biblically accurate. There's some other stuff that they've maybe embellished a little bit, but it is really good. I was moved by it. I was, I was encouraged by it, inspired. I can't wait to watch the, the next episodes. And if you missed it, you can go to their website at NBC and look for the AD uh, show. You can watch that first episode. I'd encourage you to do that this afternoon, then watch the next one tonight. Because here's what the rest of AD is about. It's about the launch of the early church, about these people who believed in this message of someone dying on the cross and rising from the dead, devoted their lives to that message and began to tell other people about it. And all of a sudden, this, this movement that was um, just about 120 people soon became 3,000 people, then became you know, 8,000, 10,000 people, and became... You know, by the, the year 25, excuse me, by 100 AD, they estimated there were 25,000 believers. But by 350 AD, it's estimated that there were 30 million followers of Jesus. It just grew exponentially. And these were disciples who just said, I'm going to pick up my cross. And here's what our cross is. The cross really is the message of Jesus. I'm going to carry the rest of my life this message. That's what my life is going to be about. It's going to be about the message of this cross. And I'm willing to pay whatever price it's going to cost to present that message to others because Jesus paid that price for me. And these crazy people began to share that message and it began to change the world. And we see it happening today in China in 1950. It was estimated in the, in the country of China there were a million believers. Move the clock ahead 42 years. 1992, the estimated 75 million believers. We met some missionaries a few weeks ago. They had um, lunch in our home, and they told us what's happening in India. Now, India is largely Hindu, and, and there's some pockets of um, Islam in India, but there's a movement of Christians in there, and these Christians are finding Jesus, and immediately they're sharing their story of how they came to know Jesus with other people, and it's growing exponentially to where there's now millions of followers of Jesus in the second biggest country on this planet. How can a message that's 2,000 years old be so fresh and vibrant? It's because it's true. It penetrates the heart. It speaks to people's very needs. You and I have been called, just like those disciples, to go and preach the gospel to all creation, to make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a man in our church who about three years ago said, um, he said, Pastor, said, I really feel God's put on my heart to be a missionary. I said, that's, that's pretty amazing. I said, what does your wife think of that? Well, she's not in the same place that I am. And I said, well, let's stop right there. It's going to be really difficult for you to pick up and go to another country when your wife's not on board with you. In fact, I think that could jeopardize your marriage. And then I told him this. Because I had heard this from someone else years ago. 
I said, you don't have to cross the sea to be a missionary. You just have to see the cross. And what you need to do is start sharing Christ with others like a missionary right here in this land. Lead people to Jesus. And if you do that faithfully, I'm convinced God's going to open a door that may take you to another place someday. But right now, just be faithful with that. So he took me up on it. He actually started to do that. He started to bring Jesus into every conversation with people around him, even strangers. He'd meet a stranger. And before long, he's talking about Jesus with the stranger. Do you know what? In the last three years, this individual has baptized more than 60 people. More than 60 people in three years. You know what? There are people in this room who've been Christians for decades who've never baptized one person. I just want to ask you, what's the, what story are you telling people? If we, are, if we are disciples of Jesus, that becomes the dominant message of our lives, of pointing people to Jesus. It's not building our career and Jesus helping us to accomplish our goals. It's us saying, my goal is his kingdom. My purpose is to elevate the name of Jesus, to lift high the cross of Christ and let the cross draw people. And you'll be amazed when you make Jesus the focus, what he does in people's lives. He brings them to the point of surrender to him. I I hear quite often Christians saying, you know, I I don't know what God's will is for my life. I'm just trying to figure it out. Well, I'm going to tell you what God's will is for your life, that you make disciples. It's not a mystery. He wants you to make the followers of Jesus with other people. Now, where he does it, how, you know, that may be all part of God's unique will for you, but the bottom line is he's called us all to kind of the same thing. And you're, when you're busy doing that thing, then God might take you into, you know, preaching and teaching and writing and counseling and singing and all these other, some other doors may open up for you, but just be faithful sharing that message. Let that be the dominant theme of your life. Now, it may cost you. In fact, I shouldn't say it may cost you. It will cost you time. It may cost you friendships. It may cost you money. It may even cost you your life. There was a German pastor during World War II who opposed Nazi Germany's regime. And he was put in prison. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. He knew the cost because he, he was actually executed in prison two weeks before the Allied forces liberated them. But in his book, he makes this, this phrase. It's a very popular phrase. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's what it means, pick up your cross. Pick it up because one day you may be dying on that cross. But you know what's amazing to me? Is when I look over the history of people who followed Jesus, way back in the early church and even in modern day times, I'm amazed at, at the willingness to die for Jesus. I mean, it's just amazing. Like, how did they get to a place where they were willing to surrender themselves? Listen to the fate of some of the disciples of Jesus. Thomas was a missionary in India. He was killed with the spear. Andrew preached the gospel and was crucified, spread eagle. That's where we get the St. Andrew's cross uh, of of Scotland. Bartholomew preached in Armenia and India. Tradition says he was flayed, or in other words, skinned alive and then beheaded. Matthew died a martyr in Ethiopia or Persia. Simon Peter was crucified by Nero, and he requested specifically that he be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be in the imitation of the death of Christ. Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, could not be crucified, so he was beheaded. When my wife and I went to Rome for our 25th anniversary, we saw both the location of Paul's and Peter's tombs. Both of those men died in Rome. Simon the Zealot believed that he was either crucified or hacked to death. These were all people who died for a message, a story. 
A story of someone who loved them enough to die on a cross that they too were willing to die for that message. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The cross would have that kind of power. That's why Paul's life was so radically devoted to the cross. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've been put to death. He picked up his cross, he followed. If you ever get an email from me at the... um, at my signature, there's, uh, there's four little symbols at the bottom of, of my signature. And uh, those symbols are these. And some of you know what this is because you still have one of these little bracelets that we gave out about four or five years ago. And what it means is this. The cross must become greater and I must become less. And that's the message of Paul. The cross must become greater and I must become less. Because the story really is about him. You know, last Sunday, I was very tempted to bring somewhere in the sermon the fact that my college basketball team that I cheered for, the Wisconsin Badgers, knocked off the undefeated Goliath of basketball, the unbeatable tournament favorite Kentucky Wildcats. And Sunday morning, I said, you know what? Easter is not about basketball. And you know what? If I share that, I'm boasting. God doesn't favor boasting. It doesn't belong in Easter. So I didn't bring it up at all. But I wonder, what if they win Monday night, though? Win the championship and all that. Should I wear red next Sunday? What should I do? And I decided, you know what? It's not going to change anything because it's still not the big headline. The big headline is still, Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. And he's the same Jesus for you as he is for me. That's the story that people want to hear. Most people don't care what team won what sporting event. They're going to forget in another few months. But this is a story that will change their life. This is a story that will rock their world. The message of the cross is powerful. And that's why first we come to the cross, and we've got to get over it, that my life is not about me. And that this cross is about my sin. I've got a problem. And Jesus' blood was shed for me. I, I surrender to that. And those of us who've been in the faith for a while need to come back to the cross every week. That's why we have the Lord's Supper every week. We come back to the cross and be reminded of the fact that I need to pick up that cross and follow Jesus. And again, it's, it's a very similar response. I once again have to surrender to that and say his story now becomes the dominant story in my life. Today, we want to bring you back to the cross. And for some of you, today will be a defining moment for you. Because as we close this series, I want to challenge you. If you're new to the church, if you're new to Christ, maybe you've been like me that I grew up in a church that didn't really talk about the cross. You said, Pastor, I never knew what the cross was about, but today I do. I want to surrender to that love. And so we're going to have prayer partners up here. I'm going to invite our prayer partners right now. Quickly, come right up front here and be available so people can see your face because they're going to lock on to you and want to come up and talk to you. For the rest of us that are listening here today, today's your day of surrender. Maybe for the first time, maybe for a repeated time, maybe you've strayed in your walk with the Lord and you've got off track that Jesus was something you accepted way back then, but today you're coming back to this cross. And like Paul, you would say, I don't want to know anything else but this message about Jesus. The message of the cross. It's the message that will change your life. It's the message that will extend the impact of your life. And so let's stand and sing. Surrender ourselves to the cross and to the one who died upon it. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.